Welcome to the CFB Dynasty Podcast with hosts Matt Knowles and Brian McElfish. Hey everybody, how you doing out there? This is the CFBDynasty.com College Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Knowles. Over here to this side, I always point wrong, is the founder and the creator of CFBDynasty.com, the one and only BMAC, Brian McElfresh. And right above him is our CFB Dynasty Home League, always bridesmaid, never the bride, Mr. Doug Gravely. Brian and Doug, how are you guys doing today? Well, it's not my favorite show. I'm more of an optimist and uh, and like to talk about teams on the rise and ranking players and all that stuff. So I've done my best to prep for this show. I've got um, cold black coffee over here that I'll be sipping on throughout the show to keep it bitter. And uh, here we go. Yes, yeah, it's going to be a great show today. Last week, we talked about teams trending up. Today, we're going to talk about 10 notable teams that are trending down. Now, that doesn't mean the top 10 teams uh, that you would say are going to be trending down. We have 10 teams you want to keep your eye on for different reasons that have stood out to myself and BMAC and Doug. Uh, we're going to get to that. But the first thing we're going to do, we're going to talk about a couple of other things that happened out there in the football world uh, this past weekend. So as you know, there are multiple minor leagues that are going to be playing this season in the NFL offseason. The first of which is the XFL led by uh, The Rock and a leadership team, an ownership team that, uh, that he's a part of. So they had their debut this past weekend. Uh, the games were compelling for what they were um, and a couple of interesting comebacks. We got to see some interesting rules tweaks. There is a partnership with the NFL. So uh, some of these things that they're trying out could eventually make it into the NFL. One of the most interesting things was the uh, the kickoff, uh, the way that they handle kickoffs. Um, I actually really like it. BMAC, I know you have an opinion about that as well. You also have a chance to do uh, the one, two, and three-point conversions. Um, BMAC, what was your thought about the way they handle kickoffs in the in the XFL? You know, I, I like that kind of stuff. I think those kind of changes are, you know, if, they, if the college football world is going to talk about making rule changes uh, in favor of player safety, stuff like that I feel like would be better. But it also kept it in play like so if you didn't see it you know they had basically a line of scrimmage but it was like deep but, like what like was 25, I, don't know. I think 25 or 30 yard line something like yeah that. so there was players were i think 10 yards apart five. and they couldn't five yards apart but they couldn't move until the returner caught the ball and then players could move and it was like a standard play after that and it was pretty cool i think that would be awesome to see um kickoffs kind of return in that format yeah, it was, it was interesting because if you kicked it into the end zone or if you kicked it out of bounds, it was a huge penalty. I think if you kicked it out of bounds, the team got the ball at the opposing 45. What? So like, so oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> they, so they, they really want to make sure that the ball is kicked within the, the goal line to the 20s to encourage returns, but returns in a safe way. Basically, like you said, you guys can't move to the balls, um, to the balls caught. So it's almost like a regular, uh, a regular down play because the, the contact is happening at the same distance. So it made it interesting, gave you a lot more of a feeling, hey, this kickoff could get broken at any moment. Um, but yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, the reason we bring up the uh, reason we bring up the XFL is because we are located in Florida. The <coughs> local team here doesn't mean any of us are a fan of them. It's a brand new team is the Orlando Guardians, but still they're the local team here. And um, the Orlando Guardians for their debut team, debut game and XFL 3.0, they trot out as their starting quarterback, the one and only Paxton Lynch. Yes, Paxton Lynch 
26th pick of the 2016 draft, Paxton Lynch. <laughs> Paxton Lynch starts the first game and subsequently gets benched before the end of the game. Paxton Lynch now becomes the only player in football history to start and be benched in the NFL, the CFL, the USFL, and now the XFL. Doug, how does a player like Paxton Lynch still keep getting opportunities? Oh, man. It could be all about selling yourself, you know, telling people that you're better, you deserve another chance, or I don't know, maybe they're just trying to fill a roster spot. I have no idea, but Paxton Lynch isn't somebody that I would have put on my Orlando Guardians team to start the season. He's got to look good, though. You know, 6'7"-ish, 6'5", he's really tall, um, and had some great stats. Obviously, a good enough career to get a, get drafted in the NFL, but over 8,000 passing yards in college, over 59 touchdowns. He was uh, – that's just passing. He was also um, – mm-hmm. A really good running quarterback too so he also had you know over 600 I, I say really good he was fine running the ball right 600 and some yards in his his career running the ball so 17 rushing touchdowns he had 13 rushing touchdowns in his uh sophomore year at memphis so really good uh impactful fantasy player in college yeah, in college, which again, this is the college fantasy football podcast. So we're going to start wheeling it back. But yeah, just it was interesting. It's interesting to see, um, you know, the one thing that I do like about the XFL having a partnership with the NFL is there's no bones about it that um, that this league is not trying to be the NFL. They want to be a minor league, a feeder league, help guys to get a chance to be able to be a stepping stone back to the next level. Uh, the one thing I did find interesting is there's a lot of guys that are playing in the XFL right now that um, that we had on our college fantasy rosters back in the day that did a great job in college. Kalen Balaj, Mr. Eight Touchdowns himself, uh, is a starting running back in the XFL. So it's interesting seeing some of these guys that um, that may not have, have amounted to much in the pros that are getting another chance and maybe they have a chance to be able to get back there and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and make their name back in the pros through using an XFL or a USFL as a stepping stone. But we talked about rule changes. We talked about rules that were put in place in the XFL. There was a big article that came out this week about rule change possibilities in college football. BMAC, do you want to start this one? I know that you've got some, a visceral reaction to some of these rules Let's talk about potential <laughs> college rule changes for the 2023 season. Uh, they're pretty disgusting, honestly. So here's the thing. Who, who are these people? And other, you know, Pate and others have said this. Who are these people that are clamoring to shorten college football games? I know where it's coming from. Obviously, money is at the root of this um, in terms of, being able to fit in more commercials, whatever they whatever they need to do, or sell more ad space. Um, but dang, so here here's the rules. If you haven't seen them, um, outlawing consecutive timeouts. Okay, whatever. This rule would prevent one timeout from being called right after another. Blah blah blah. Um, so like icing kickers, you would think of this kind of thing when it's it's very. A comment at the end of a game only. Um, the second one is not extending quarters, which is a weird one to me. So 
you know that's that horrible that's a horrible yeah horrible. yeah it, it's really a disadvantage or promotes you having a penalty at the end as the quarter is kind of running out but basically um no extended untimed downs if the quarter ends on a defensive penalty so why would you just not tackle somebody every <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Just... I, to me to me i think that both of these are like the I feel like these are like the we're gonna put some ridiculous ones out there so that we can negotiate and be like, okay, you know, we'll we'll take off the no consecutive, uh, no consecutive timeouts on the kick, and we'll take off the thing about no untimed downs at the end of a quarter because if you guys want those out of the way, we really want these other things because those to me seem foolish. Again, it incentivizes yeah, well, the team to have a penalty at the end. Sort of. Horrible. So uh, they're still gonna enforce the penalty, um, and that was first and third quarters not extending those two so you're not gonna like end the half on a penalty that's not called or, or end the game that way but still it's just a weird thing it's not gonna save a lot of time that you know yeah how much a time lot of how us, many games are gonna be affected by that at all right and then a lot of us think about you know oh what about targeting and how long they take to review that stuff and uh nfl's figured it out college football hasn't yet uh in terms of just using a team that has access to the footage, making a quick <clears throat> decision and, and letting the refs know. It's lunacy that these current day refs in 2023 are going to look at the screen themselves, whereas someone else can make the call elsewhere much faster and just let them know what's going on. Uh, running clock. This one is... Um, the clock will continue to run after an offense gains a first down, except inside two minutes and a half. Um, I don't like it just because I don't want to uh, to shorten the game, um, period. Anyways, and the fourth one is ridiculous. I can't believe this is even on the table. So another running clock rule. So this measure, considered the most controversial, will have the clock continue to run after an incomplete pass once the ball has been spotted for play. So this this makes me think of, all right, end of game, what's going to happen when you, you can't spike the ball anymore? Um, incomplete passes, you still got a running <coughs> clock. It's like, are we going to have stoppage time and all that stuff like soccer? It's, it's just a weird, weird set of rules that's not based on improving the game. It's not based on, you know improving the the viewership for the fans or anything like that it's just in my assumption it's got to be money based somewhere uh where they're trying to fit in more ads you know like we're not always already you know spammed unless you're a youtube plus subscriber or whatever that is getting more and more ads on youtube and everywhere else i mean i i can understand a little bit of the reason why they want to do the running clock um specifically because it would make it a little bit closer to what's happening in the NFL. Um, I don't think that they should take off, you know, they should have the clock restart after incomplete pass to me. That's just silly. I don't like that rule at all. Um, I do like the thought of not having the clock stop on a first down outside of a certain time period, five minutes in the first court, first half in the second half, things like that. Um, they did some studies and they said that, uh, Last year, the NFL, the average number of plays per game was 155 plays in a, in a game. The average number in college football is 180. So you're talking about over the course of a month, 
that's almost like college football athletes are playing an entire extra game just in the number of plays and the number of times you have the collisions for the offensive and defensive linemen. So they want to try and get some of that down. Oh, uh, so you so you think less games matters. Well, we just extended the games. Oh yeah, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that, that there should be less <laughs> games. I think I love right. I love I want there to be more games, but I think yeah. they're saying because there's more games, maybe they need to start looking at how much is happening within the game yeah. so that that way it's not you know, that that way these college athletes are not playing more football yeah. than an NFL team is. Yeah. But if you're successful, yeah, we just extended the playoff. We're about to extend it again. And you're looking at, you know, the potential of 17 games um, for, you know, really successful teams, obviously. So it's player safety as long as it doesn't affect the bottom line kind of deal. Um, and, and I yeah, don't like B-Mac, it. Getting, BMAC is really getting salty with that, uh, with that, that, black, that cold black coffee over there today. That black coffee is working for you. It's it's really not the black coffee, honestly. I, I do this in the office all the time. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, <laughs> affecting college football for the for the worse uh, is what makes me angry. Um, normal life things don't make me angry, but this this gets me. Me and B Mac had long talks about all this stuff um, in our journey to helping him buy a car recently, and uh, you know. He's very adamant about his college football, which most of us are. Um, and with these rules, the only one that I can see making any legitimate sense is the third one. Agreed. You know, maybe keeping the clock running after a first down outside of the last two minutes of a quarter. But other than that, the other rules to me are really dumb. Yeah, like I, I don't. I, I think that. Uh, I mean, the consecutive timeouts on the kick how many people have extra timeouts when you get to the end of a game kick? That's right. very, very, you know, and it's I think usually that, a 30 yeah. second timeout and half the time. It doesn't even take up the full 30 seconds. It's just a thing. that I, they I, do. Yeah. I think, I think that, uh, <clears throat> you know, things that they, if they really are concerned with shortening the game, shorten these replay reviews. I love replay review. I think replay review has a point in this day and age in the game, but we don't need a five minute review to decide if targeting actually happened. What do they need... get though? They get long commercial breaks. Yeah. For targeting reviews. <laughs> true, true. You're right. You're right. Yep. And that's they, another... they're not incentivized to fix that. Incentivized being the keyword there, which uh it's crazy. Yeah, that's another change that can be made though, that I did notice in the XFL, you know, even though I didn't watch much, is getting to hear what goes into the reviews is actually really cool. That is yeah, cool. Every play was reviewed and it was actually really neat to be able to hear that. Um, to hear the way that they went about that. There was actually a very controversial touchdown um, in one of the games where the DB and the receiver caught the ball simultaneously. And at first view, it looked like the DB was the one who got the ball first. But the DB and the receiver both had their bodies around the ball. So there was no camera angle of any kind that really showed who had first possession. And even the replay official was like, whatever they went with on the field was what it was going to be. So like they called it a touchdown. We had not a thing we could have done to be able to overturn it. Mm-hmm. Um, if they would have called it interception, same way. So yeah, I thought that was really good that you could at least hear the discussion. And and it honestly, that's the kind of stuff that's going to shut a lot of the nonsensical talk about refereeing down uh, because you could hear the thought process. You could hear what they were saying. Um, but yeah, so that, that, that I think is a good thing 
But again, that has nothing to do with shortening the games. It probably right. is going to lengthen the games. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't have a problem with, with them looking at ways to keep the clock running at times. In, in, the, um, in college football over the last 10, 15 years, uh, you've seen how quickly offenses move on the field. I remember back in the day, probably a decade ago, was when CBS started having to run the split screens where they'd be trying to show a replay, but they'd have to show the replay and keep the line of scrimmage going because there was no <laughs> right. way for them to get the replay in because you had some college teams that were taking 12 seconds or less to from the time the ball was spotted to the time they were snapping the ball. Um, so they needed to find ways to be able to, to modify what they were doing. I don't have a problem with them looking at changing certain things on the field, uh, changing certain things in the timing, but I definitely think that just keeping a clock running after incompletes to me is completely ridiculous. I can't stand that rule. Um, to me, that's against what football actually is. Um, I know that the XFL is doing some extreme um, extreme timing changes like that, uh, trying some things like that. I think their games, every one of them was under three hours this past weekend. And it didn't feel as bad as you would have thought it did, but I definitely don't want to see that in college either. Yep, right. But today, after talking about these things, we know that if those changes were made, BMAC would think that college football rules and timing would be trending down. <laughs> today, we're going to talk about 10 teams that have caught our eye that we think could potentially be teams on the decline. That does not mean that these teams are not going to be fantasy relevant. That does not mean that these teams are not going to have impactful players. They are just teams that we think have a potential to slide down the list just a little bit. And real quick, real quick, right before we get to that, a couple updates from CFB Dynasty com so we'll have our the initial version of our draft kit uh ready to launch soon because um a did some huge updates on the the college football depth charts so right now as it stands you know we've got the one main spreadsheet with all the teams on it and we've got quarterback one two three running back one two three wide receivers one through six tight end one two and starting kicker um <clears throat> And we've got all the teams with starting quarterback now, and most of them have a two deep and, you know, maybe half of them have a three deep at quarterback. Um, so that's all in there. And we've got all of the, of the initial 133 projected starters ranked and almost ready to go live. So that will be very soon, uh, potentially uh, by the end of the weekend, we'll have our 2023 draft kit page ready to go and the first two pages that'll be on there for subscribers will be the depth charts which is currently free and open to anybody but it won't be for long and then uh the quarterback rankings so yeah so if you guys are out there and uh you want to be able to get your hands on those depth charts make sure you get up to cfbdynasty.com so that that way you can subscribe and get this information and get a leg up on the guys in your leagues you want to be able to have that information in front of you you want to be able to study it and if you're somebody that's got insight into a specific team, let us know. You might be able to find your information that has been uh, utilized in some of these rankings. Um, make sure you go up to our Discord channel and make sure that you interact there as well because you might have opinions that are going to be it's going to be worthwhile to be able to share with the community that's out there. It's a community that's building. Uh, this is going to be year two for the community. We have some big plans and big hopes uh, coming into this season, but we need you to be a part. With that being said, are you guys ready to start talking about 
10 teams that have caught our eye that we think could be teams on the decline. Doug, are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Yeah, let's B-Mac, go. B-Mac, are you ready? A bit. Let's do this. B-Mac, I'm going to go to you first. Who is the first team that you have as somebody that is earmarked as a team that could be on the decline? Okay, so again, I'm going to reiterate, it's not my favorite thing to do, talking about teams that I think might fail, because really, as an optimist, you can cut, you kind of see paths, right? You see a path where team can go this route and, and be successful and, and other teams that uh, may not be. So this one is uh, probably one of the most controversial ones internally, where I argue with myself and I put them on this list and took them off and put them back on. And here we go. UTSA. Now they are returning a load of talent, right? So you think about how good they were last year. They were a staple of our quarterback rankings and receiver rankings week in and week out. Frank Harris quarterback returning to UTSA along with his top three wide receivers, Zachary Franklin, DeCorian Clark, Joshua Cephas, all worthy of being rostered and starting almost every week. And that's how good they were. Um, I'm leading in with the positive things, of course, here. Um, So then you look at returning production for UTSA. Um, They are 115th. They they return 56% of their offense which puts them at 100th in the country. Um, and then if you look at the SP plus like uh, power rating here, um, they're, they're still though, they're still top, the top team in Conference USA. They're 60th overall, number one in Conference USA um, with their offense being power rated at, you know, 33rd. So, with a lot of their O-line going away. Um, I think back to Virginia, right? Where, yes, they lost Robert and I to Syracuse uh, for this past season. And they were great. They lost a lot of their O-line too. Um, and, and that was the big downfall there where they lost all six of the, the players that had you know, starting snaps at, at O-line at UVA. And I think UTSA is potentially going to face something similar, albeit not in as strong of a conference. So I can see the path where UTSA being in a lesser conference, going against lesser defensive end talent. Um, I can see a path where they're still going to be really good. Um, they did lose their OC to Oregon. Um, and... I would just suggest, while they could be really good this year, if you've got them on your, you know, keeper dynasty league, this is an opportunity to potentially sell high because there is a path where UTSA just doesn't fire it all on all cylinders if their, you know, O line is a sieve basically. So I feel you can, like you I can hear like how Doug, painful it was to say that, but I feel like Doug that BMAC is setting me up. Because I feel like when we're done, BMAC's going to be like, hey, Matt, you want to trade Frank Harris to me? No. (laughs) I think it's possible. I think it's possible. No. No. And I gave you the path for success there. Like, they're still power rated number one in their conference by this uh, recent SP Plus by Bill Connolly at uh, at ESPN. 
and it's looking at a lot of metrics and that includes O-line. So just saying, I don't, I don't think they're going to be better than they were last year. Um, this is probably the last year was probably the peak performance um, for the Roadrunners. Well, I think, uh, I think, you know, you brought up a really good point here because one of the things about college fantasy football is following where coaches go and following the coach that is there um, at the time versus where are they going. Um, you know, I, I think that losing your offensive coordinator is huge because you don't know the style of the guy that's going to be coming in. Um, I mean, you look at Baylor back in the day, Baylor used to be throwing the ball right, left, right, left, right, left. They had a lot of guys that transferred out because of the scandal that happened to Baylor. They brought in a different style of offensive coordinator, a different style of head coach, and then they turned into a completely different team. So it's not like just because a team has a specific offense one year, that that means it's always going to be that way. Yeah. Um, I do think, like you said, with them having their core of quarterback and wide receivers all coming back, um, I still feel feel pretty good about UTSA, but I think the points that you brought up are completely valid. Um, Doug, who is the first team on your list that you want to make sure people keep their eye on? All right, the first team on my list, um, I went with Kent State. They're losing so much. Um, I believe they've only got 19% um, production returning, which for a team that had a losing record, you would think would be – you know, it is what it is, but of the 19%, they're losing, in my mind, you know, their top players, which is horrible. Um, so you've got Colin Schley leaving for UCLA, who's going to have a, potentially a quarterback battle there now. Um, but he was great for UCLA when he played for them, a kind of a game manager type guy. Um, they leaned on the run a lot. <clears throat> and Marquez Cooper, who... I know people in our league love and BMAC over here really enjoys having him, but he left um, and he accounted for 1300 yards and eight touchdowns last year. And I don't know where that production is going to come from. <laughs> no. um, I don't, there's no running back on that roster. It's like, Oh yeah, I think he's going to be great. And I think he's going to make up for that. I don't see that happening. Then you've BMAC, got BMAC. You ever feel like, uh, you know, you're in a classroom and you get to pick your topic, and one kid in the classroom just runs up and takes the easiest topic that you possibly can. <laughs> so if you have the returning rankings in front of you, we can scroll down and literally, literally, the bottom of the list, number 133, mm -hmm. is Kent State. So <laughs> absolutely agree with you, Doug, that Kent State has to be on this list because if you're literally the bottom of the list, there's a reason for it. So right. I, will, I, will, I will give you back the floor, allow you to continue. And these things matter a lot when it comes to obviously understanding what's the the ceiling or the floor for your team going into the year. Um, I, th I think the threshold is on average, like um, you want to be about 62% of your uh, production returning. Their offense is 19% good for last and then that affects them going into the power rating which there they are also last 133rd um it's going to be an awful awful year for mac uh or for uh, kent state in the mac even where they don't have great defense still yeah anyways doug i'll let you finish your thoughts there sorry no problem so um 
you've got their top two receivers that are leaving. Uh, Cephas going to Penn State. Walker, who had 11 touchdown receptions last year, going to play with uh, Drake May in North Carolina, which could be exciting. Hello. Um, <laughs> and even their head coach left. I mean, their head coach is now going to be a backup to Deion Sanders in Colorado. And I just think that is a lot – maybe way too many changes for Kent state to try to be able to overcome. Oh, there's no, maybe they're going to be awful this year. And for those of the, you know, for the people that just look at last year's production, they're like, Oh, Marquez Cooper, great season. He left. Who's the next running back. It's not going to be that simple. Like they are going to fall off a cliff. You should take nobody from Kent state. Yeah. This is, this is not like an Alabama, or one of those schools that is just like reload every single year, because you're going to see teams like, you know, the Alabamas and the Ohio States might be lower on this kind of returning production list, but their recruiting classes coming in are always just massive. They've got guys waiting in the wings. They've got guys transferring in. Um, so they're normally going to be pretty low. If you see Alabama with a 90% of the returning uh, roster coming back there's that's a problem you don't want to see Alabama there because they have so many guys that are going to the pros um, but with a team like Kent State and not to belabor the point here Kent State is not known for having massive recruiting classes so what Kent State had last year was I would say probably a unicorn season for them as far as offensive production and when you've got that much going out who's left who's yeah. left to to fill in those gaps that doesn't mean Kent State is going to be terrible for years to come but they have probably got the biggest but they probably um, will. Biggest hill to overcome to be able to have any kind of relevance um, in college football. Yeah, it's not a plug and play. Like I remember when I took uh, Donnell Pumphrey from San Diego State. That was a pipeline where you saw the running back, great production. He leaves. You just plug in whoever's next. And yep. uh, he obviously went on to to kind of set records. This is not the case with, with Kent State. So the first team on my list, um, and, and I, I took things a little bit different angle here. I'm going to go with Tennessee. And again, this does not mean Tennessee is not going to be near the tops. Tennessee had a great, great season, probably had one of their best seasons and one of their most college football relevant seasons in a long time, not just fantasy, but just, just on the national scale, probably the most relevant um, that they've had in a long time. But when you're losing Hendon Hooker and Hyatt and Tillman, you're losing three of the most relevant players that they have put out in a long, long time. That's going to be really tough to overcome. So again, that doesn't mean that they are going to be, you know, Kent State Jr. It means that they are probably not going to have the same relevance that they had last year um, with the players they did. I mean, I know that uh, that Hendon Hooker, I know that Hyatt helped propel some people to college fantasy championships. I don't think that that's what's going to be coming from the Tennessee offense this year. So again, I'm saying just keep your eye on this team because if you expect Tennessee to be at the same level as last year, I don't think that you're going to get the exact same production. I hear the groans from the uh, the cold coffee drinking crew over there. Why do you guys disagree with that thought about Tennessee? So who was Hendon Hooker before he came into this Tennessee offense? He was someone that struggled with accuracy. He underwhelmed us. Like He came into Virginia Tech as a four-star dual threat quarterback who had it all like every year in the college fantasy community we're like oh this is the year Hennon Hooker's going to kind of take over at Virginia Tech well Virginia Tech hasn't come back to relevance and neither did Hooker until he was in that offense and 
obviously killed it. Um, Hyatt and Tillman and these guys are running wide open, and it's not specifically because of their route running. It's the offense. So I think Milton is going to surprise people. Um, we're going to put together a little clip of what he did in the against Clemson in the bowl game, but it was uh, different than what we had seen in the past from uh, <clears throat> from from him at quarterback. And somebody's going to take over at receiver. You're going to see Squirrel White, my boy Squirrel, Squirrel. He's going to have a eighty plus catches and and barely anybody knows who he is. Um, and and some other guys. Um, Let's see the the transfer from <clears throat> Oregon, um, Deontay Thornton, Brew McCoy, Ramel Keon. They're gonna be really good. And even if Milton doesn't, like I, I we'll see. Yeah, let me say this really slow. Yeah, Malieva. <clears throat> All right, <clears throat> um, potentially get some snaps, but I think Milton's gonna be the guy for a year, and I think they're gonna be really, really good. And I am happy, Matt, to put a bet on this if you want to. Ooh, here it is. I, I, you know what? I put no bet on this bet. You are you, you are the one. So somebody ask you this: Is this your? Is this your team's on the decline? But you're going to find a way to spin this. Is this your brisket lock that you want to you want to commit mm. to for this? Oh, for sure. I'll take that all day long. All right, I can roll with that. I can roll with I that. I hate so Tennessee, brisk- but they're going to be good offensively. <laughs> brisket. So the brisket lock is going to be uh, is going to be Milton from Tennessee. We're going to remember this, Doug, when we get into the regular season. That that's 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 Bmax guy. So, right Doug, now. where do we have him? Not to put you on the spot in our in our early season rankings, he's not top really five. Good so we've got him right now at thirteenth. Um, and depending on how things kind of shake out in the spring and the fall, he could come up to number six or five. Now, he doesn't have the easiest schedule in the world, but, man, I think I think he's going to be really good there in that offense. So, Doug, we're going to come back to you. Now, I know I know BMAC's got some stuff in the week. We've already we, – we started with, with uh, BMAC. We're going to go back to you. Give us another team. I'm going to go with eye on. I'm going to go with one that may be kind of controversial to people. Um, just a gut feeling that I have, but I'm going to go with BYU. Um, I think they're on the downtrend. Another team again with a lot of a lot of changes with their quarterback deciding to go pro. Um, Three thousand yards passing, thirty-one touchdowns. Um, a great fantasy season, um, and they're replacing him with. <clears throat> A kid I don't have a lot of confidence in, uh, in Slavis, Slovis, however you say his last name. Forgive me if I did if I said it wrong, buddy. But um, he's got almost as many picks as he does touchdown passes in his last three years of football. Um, ever since that first season with USC in 2019, where he had a good season, it just seems like he has not been able to follow up and continue to put it together. Um, so I just don't have a lot of confidence in who they're potentially replacing Jaron Hall with. Um, running back Christopher Brooks is leaving. Receivers Nakua and Romney are leaving. They're keeping Rex, um, and they have added 
this is a positive. They've added Aiden Robbins from UNLV, who was a thousand yard back in the transfer portal. But again, I just go back to questioning the leadership of, of Slavis. I don't know if he's got what it takes to help keep BYU relevant. Well, and I'll tell you, one of the things, too, about BYU that I think even if BYU had exactly the same roster from last year to this year, BYU is entering the Big 12. Mm -hmm. BYU has got a much more difficult schedule overall this year than they had last year. Uh, You look at their schedule, they're playing Cincinnati, Texas Tech, Iowa State, Oklahoma, TCU, Texas, West Virginia, Oklahoma State all this season. You don't see BYU having a bunch of smaller schools that they're just trying to fill out their schedule with this year, teams that they can beat up on. That doesn't mean that they did that last year, but the quality of their schedule is going to be so much more difficult this year. And uh, I think that that in and of itself is going to make BYU a team that's really going to have to put up or shut up because when you're talking about playing a schedule like that, um, they could see a down a downturn in their production just because of the quality of their schedule. 100%. BMAC, who's the next team you got on the list? All right. Um, let's go with another one that I debated with myself <laughs> out loud. Not really, but um, Syracuse. All right. So Robert and I, um, you know, is, is out of Syracuse. The last we just talked about him when earlier in the intro. When he left UVA, they had a terrible season. Was it an eye? Was it because they lost a bunch of their O-line men? Is probably a little bit of both. Probably leaning towards O-line there being the, the biggest issue since they had a veteran quarterback coming back. Anyways, um, you lose a lot of you know potential O-line here. Um, they lose Sean Tucker to the NFL, which he got a lot of catches, obviously was a, a workhorse for them. Um, but maybe, maybe they will be a little bit more, uh, you know, pass heavy, even than they were last year. Um, 39th and offensive returning production, which is good. That's really good. You're in the top 40 and in, in returning production offensively. That's great for fantasy. Um, they return their quarterback, Garrett Schrader, love. Aranda Gast in the second. Amazing, you know, future NFL talent there. Love it. But they're 66th in um, the SP Plus, the power rating here for for offenses going into spring. And that gets them, uh, or that puts them at 11th in the ACC. Um, so while there's a path where, hey, Schrader to Gadsden could be a, a staple in fantasy offenses this uh, this fall. Um, overall offensive production, I can't see it being better um, than it was last year after losing a nigh and then losing Sean Tucker. I think a big thing for Syracuse, too, is uh, if you look at their season last year, they started off hot as fire. They were one of the top teams in the country. Uh, they were 6-0. and then they lost six of their final seven games um, that uh, that lost to Clemson where they were – they looked like they had that game in hand. Clemson makes the quarterback change, and it was like for whatever reason, that just sent Syracuse down the darkest path possible when it comes to their uh, their team. I mean, they're, like I said, one and six to end the season, losing your offensive coordinator. Um, I think it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be tough for them. Uh, so I think that having Syracuse on the list – 
with them losing their offensive coordinator is going to be uh, is going to be tough. I do. I will say this. Dino Babers, uh, their head coach, is well known for being able to morph his team to the talent that he has and to his coaches. So if you do have a, a some hope about Syracuse's offense, it's because Dino Babers is a really good um, a really good utilizer of what he actually has. If you go back to where Dino Babers was prior to Syracuse, he was at Bowling Green. When, when Dino Babers was at Bowling Green, they had one of the greatest pass offenses in college fantasy football. That was probably the time that Bowling Green was talked about more than uh, at any other point um, in their history as far as college fantasy football relevance. When Dino Babers went to Syracuse, you're like, oh, this is just going to be a pass-happy offense. And it was, and it was, and it was. Then they got Sean Tucker. And then the next thing you know, it's become a run offense. Um, and, and he played to the pieces that were there. So if there's mm-hmm. hope for Syracuse's offense, it's how can Dino Babers mold to the new offensive coordinator and to the pieces that are still there? Yeah, and it's more of like, it's not just fill the piece at running back. It's not just blindly draft a Syracuse running back because they're, they're just not going to have the, the production out of that position that they lost to Sean Tucker. And I think some NFL team will be super fortunate to have them. All right, Doug, who's somebody else you have your eye on? I've got Stanford um, on my team's trending down. And we have all talked about this in podcasts in the past and something that we want to start looking at more for you guys, you know, in production to what to expect from quarterbacks or running backs or whoever's in the organization. But all five of Stanford's starting O-linemen transferred out. So that's, that's not good. Um, so whoever takes over the realm, you know, with Tanner McKee leaving, going pro, um, be careful. Hopefully you're a running quarterback. That's all I got to say. Um, no specific wide receiver stands out to me, um, with Stanford's offense, McKee kind of spread the ball around a lot. Um, so there's no like number one guy, but of the, of McKee's 2,947 yards, the two people they're keeping are only responsible for 795 yards of those passing totals. So they're losing a lot of production. Um, I mean, the biggest reason, again, why I have them on there is you're losing your five starting O-linemen. I don't know how to overcome, you know, losing that much because – you're, you're going to struggle, I think, moving the ball. I think one of the biggest things as well with uh, Stanford is they're well known for having one of the most difficult admissions um, admissions policies in the country. Very difficult I... to get into. Very difficult to get into Stanford, and uh, Stanford is not a team that is known to utilize the transfer portal very well. And uh, Doug, you mentioned it already. There's a lot of guys transferring out of Stanford. There's rarely anybody transferring in. Um, they've stated that they might start to rethink that process and start um, utilizing the transfer portal more. I know that, um, you know, the big talk used to be uh, back in the day in college basketball about the one and dones. Now it's more the done and ones where people are, are, tra- are graduate transfers transferring in college basketball, college football. And um, I mean, you look at a team we talked about it last week, like Colorado, we said, what, 25 guys transferring into Colorado's program this year. Um, Stanford is kind of the opposite. So um, I think just like UTSA, 
Stanford could be an absolute doormat this year if they don't get those things squared away and they don't start getting in some talent that could immediately help them. Yeah, and it's sad because this was like tight end you for us for a while in, in college fantasy and, you know, as, as an NFL pipeline. Ah, Christian McCaffrey, absolutely. Christian and McCaffrey then running back, running back. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, you've got their, you've got their tight end coming back. Um, Benjamin Erosic, um, who was their number one tight end. But again, I mean, he was only responsible for 300 and something receiving yards. Like, you know what I mean? So it's, it's tough to, it's tough to think that, you know, one tight end and one receiver are going to help propel them to where they need to be. So the next team on my list, uh, the one, and, and, you know, like BMAC said, BMAC, you debated, even wanted to bring people up. I'm going to put Coastal Carolina on here, and I know that this is a gut feel thing, and here's why. Coastal Carolina, yes, Grayson McCall, their all-world quarterback, pulled his name out of the transfer portal. He came back. That's massive, massive for Coastal Carolina. But one of the things we've talked about is follow the coaches. Tim Beck is now the coach there. Their coach that brought them into relevance, Jamie Chadwell, leaves, goes to Liberty. Tim Beck, who was the offensive coordinator at NC State last year, uh, leaves NC State to take the head coaching job at Coastal Carolina. Um, I can tell you, as a as a fan of NC State for many years, many years, decades, and with all of the stuff that has happened as far as bad luck when it comes to NC State, um, I cannot remember the fan base being so galvanized about wanting to see a coach leave the program and how much they celebrated when Tim Beck left. There were some Offensive decisions, yes, NC State had four different quarterbacks last year, but there were some play calls last year that were just absolutely baffling, absolutely baffling that came from Tim Beck with the talent that was on the NC State offensive side of the ball, um, the underperforming um, underperformance of that offense was just unbelievable. And when Tim Beck left, I've never seen a fan base so happy about having an offensive coordinator or a coach leave as they did when Tim Beck left NC State. So will we get the Texas Tim Beck or will we get the NC State Tim Beck at Coastal Carolina? I think that that is a huge question mark, and I am definitely very, very careful about having any hopes about what's going to happen to Coastal Carolina because of the fact that the offensive play calling decisions were so baffling at NC State last year. I don't know how that's going to affect Grayson McCall. Totally agree. Now, Grayson McCall and and those guys there at Coastal, in terms of returning production, um, or, or let's let's take a look. Yeah, so they're 25th in the country, 14th in the country offensively, returning 79% of their production. So, <clears throat> obviously, <clears throat> like you said, there's a path to where they're still really good, maybe for a year, and then when all those players leave and whatnot you know maybe coastal just kind of falls off the fantasy map here but that puts them at the power ratings put them at fourth um in the sun belt behind south alabama james madison and troy just ahead of the cajuns and app state so the cajuns bmac we're going to go to your next team i see you want to talk about the cajuns a little bit why do you have the cajuns on the list yeah, and it's more for fantasy relevance. Like, mm, there's just there's not there really at any position. You know, they were 
really good, obviously, under Billy Napier and had a, a special, you know, group kind of uh, go through there. We looked at players like Chris Smith, who have always underwhelmed in terms of fantasy production uh, based on, you know, where he's he's been projected and, and all that stuff. And just don't see it for them, man. They're, they're kind of uh, a little bit stale. And a couple years now removed from Billy Napier. <clears throat> it's, it's more of a feel that, yeah, they are fourth in the Sun Belt. Sorry, fifth in the Sun Belt in terms of total returning production. Or, or sorry, not production. Um, the SP Plus power rating. Um, offense good for 80th in the country. And uh, that still would put them, you know, sixth in their conference. But I, I just don't think they're going to be fantasy relevant whatsoever. And they'll be an okay team. But if I had to, uh, you know, I don't know what their win totals are. But, you know, depending on where they're at, I would probably lean towards the under based on this power rating be being a little bit favorable for the Cajuns. And if you guys don't know, for BMAC to go in here and say something negative about the ULL Raging Cajuns, that's rough. Because there's there if there's a team that BMAC has, has had a soft spot for in NCAA, on the Xbox, mm-hmm. in college football, outside of the Florida Gators, it's the ULL Raging Cajuns. So uh, for him to talk negative about them, that really is like, not only is he drinking cold coffee, it's like he spit in his coffee and then started drinking it too. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's my team right there, my second team at least. So I would always <laughs> take them on for whatever reason in NCAA as the, the one-star school to kind of build up, whatever. And um, when we got into our league before we launched it, uh, what year did we launch our league? 2007-ish, 2008? Oh, it's been a while, man. Gordy, he had one rule that he wanted to enforce, and that was we had legit collegiate team names on our NFL side and our college side. So the Cajuns are one of them for me and uh, got a couple Cajun shirts. Um, and I randomly, it's wild, randomly found a Raging Cajuns logoed golf ball on a course here in Florida. And I, I still got that one. <laughs> wild, wild, wild. Yeah. All right. So, Doug, we have two teams left to talk about. You've got one of them earmarked. Who is the last team that you want to make sure people keep their eyes on about a team that could be into the decline? In 2023, I've got Cincinnati, um, who are, I believe, 100 and so 124th out of 133 teams in returning production this year, which is really rough. Um, they're 121st in offensive returning production and 107th in defense returning production. That's that's a lot, and they're losing Luke Fickle who has a career win percentage of 72%. So that's probably going to be tough to replace. And like you said about BYU earlier, they're moving to the Big 12. Um, Could potentially be very dangerous for this team. Um, And if you put anybody on your fantasy roster from from Cincinnati, um, I would suggest that you don't. But, (laughs) you know, it's up to you. Um, They've, again... With the percentage of people that they're losing, they're losing uh, their starting running back and two of their top receivers. I mean, I don't know how much you believe in Ben Bryant, but he's got to have somebody to throw the ball to. 
So yep, and Tyler Scott's gone um, to the NFL. So yeah, that one's going to be interesting. I, on the flip side of where look Luke Fickle's going, I can't wait to see this Phil Longo offense um, at Wisconsin because it certainly won't be just run heavy like they have been. Um, but that's more on the, the positive side. Certainly, Cincinnati will be pushed down a bit. The Cincinnati players in our rankings compared to where they've been the last couple of years. All right, so BMAC. There's one last team that we say people need to keep their eye on. This is going to be a controversial one. BMAC, who is the team, the last one of the top, the top 10 or the 10, we want to make sure people keep their eye on. What you got? Um, so this is um, it's the Alabama passing attack. So, you know, what they've seen, and this is based on things that I've heard or read. This is based on, like, seeing – the trend of like them looking like they're beefing up the O-line and typically a bigger O-line is better for uh, a rushing attack. Not, not in all cases, right? There's some differences there and I don't pretend to be an expert on, you know, offensive line techniques or anything like that. But, um, and, you know, kind of based on the coordinator hires a little bit and looking at how they haven't uh, gone out to get a veteran quarterback, I think they're pretty confident in the quarterbacks that they do have. But I think what they've seen in Georgia, and and if you look at the trends of college football in general, the last two years has been the, the only two in a row most recent years where points per game across the whole sport has come down defenses are starting to kind of figure out it's and seemingly catch up with the fast paced offenses, the, the read option and the combination of up-tempo read option um, or RPOs um, to be more precise. So <clears throat> I think they're going to run the ball a lot more. And I think that's going to be their MO as they kind of uh, shift back to an inexperienced quarterback and, not proven production at the wide receiver spot. Yeah, they've got Jermaine Burton and they've got some amazing talent. But, you know, we kind of saw last year with a lesser O-line and, you know, losing Jamison Williams, even with the Heisman returning, um, who is incredible in the pocket. They struggled. They struggled. They put up a lot of points. Um, but I think going to where a, a more uh, offensive attack where it's, not necessarily ground and pound, but it's going to be more ball control and more uh, leaning on the run than passing. In the well, we kind of talked about that a little bit in some of the previous podcasts where last year was the first year in years where Alabama did not have blue chip college fantasy football production out of the wide receiver position. You also had a lot of the guys that, uh, that people thought were going to be the next in line that transferred out. So, uh, like you said, it's a transition time right now in Alabama's passing game, and and I think you might be uh, that might be a, a good a good point. You might be spot on there that it, that's transitioning away from what we saw for for all those years with the guys that were just like, you know, plug and play going in first round draft picks into the NFL and becoming highly productive there. Last year, there was no production at all out of the wide receiver spot from a college football perspective. So you might be right. Maybe we're going to be seeing some more. Um, running back relevance uh, at Alabama like we've seen in years past as well. Mm-hmm. And if Jalen Milrow wins that job, which is going to be you know a 50-50 battle against Simpson this year, 
that can be really dangerous uh, running attack there between him and the talent that they have at running back with, you know, veteran Jace McClellan backed by four more five-star guys. So it'll be interesting to see if that ends up being the case, but uh, we'll see. We'll see, uh, you know, pretty soon. How far away are we now? <laughs> uh, six months. I would say six months or so from uh, from the start of the season. So that is the 10 teams we want you guys to make sure you keep your eyes on. Syracuse, UTSA, ULL Raging Cajuns, Alabama, Tennessee, Coastal Carolina, Stanford, Cincinnati, BYU, and Kent State. All right. We have anything else you want to talk about today? Doug, tell us about what you're going to be doing this weekend. Tell us the kind of where people could find you. If they want to find you not online, where are you going to be? Um, if you guys want to come check out, you know, me teaching BMAC over here at a golf on Saturday, <laughs> that, that could be an interesting thing to come watch. Or you could watch both of us completely have no idea what we're doing, which has happened as well. So we'll be golfing on Saturday. Um, I would imagine I'll be, you know, at some point watching some golf and stuff because that's just what I do on the weekends now that golf season's back. Um, but yeah, if you want to come check out some really good golf play from guys that are just like you, maybe come watch me and Brian on Saturday. It's, yeah, it's not a match event though, right? <laughs> I don't even know Correct. if we've talked about that on it the podcast. Not. Are you aware at all, Matt, of this match that we're doing? So not at all. Doug and lost, I, I have lost round one with you believe it or not matt I just, so you know i lost round one we've got a little bet right we we set up so i have a goal because i'm you know from the south i live in florida I, of course if i had uh the ability to just travel all over to all the games across the country i would love to but I, right now i want to see a bunch of stadiums in the south and maybe every year maybe every other year go to a new road game for for florida or whatever so this year i we picked a South Carolina game. We've got a four-round bet, um, basically. So Florida-South Carolina game. Doug and I will be there this year. Um, how we get there, though, is is this. Based on the first round, loser buys the tickets. Round two. Yeah, that was Doug. <laughs> I won by like 13. It was not a good day for Doug. Not a good day um, for Doug. But I we are similar. I need to eat breakfast or lunch before we go. You should plan. Yes, planning is important, and so is eating. But um, <clears throat> anyways, we're both, whatever, 13 handicap. Not not that good at this game. Um, it's, it's, it's so frustrating. Anyways, the second uh, will be gas, I think, and then hotel and then food. But basically, uh, it'll be it'll be fun. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I can at least win one more. But uh, well, there is the potential, Matt, at this point for – Doug to either need to go get a loan or get a second, third, and fourth job if I lose every round. So, you know, you guys yeah, might not uh, see me very much. I don't know. I, 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 you will never see me. You will never see me uh, partake in a bet like that because the only time that I have any relevance when it comes to the golf course is if I'm playing in a scramble where I'm a part of a team of four and I might be able to get a good putt every here and there. Or if you put the word mini in front of it, <laughs> then I might be all right there too, because I'm a pretty good mini golfer, but yeah, I man, you're not going to see me out there betting on any kind of, uh, any kind of prowess on the, on the, on the links. <laughs> we have made a, a little, a little deal though, that our next three rounds are going to be courses that we haven't played. Um, cause we, Brian and I also really want to 
check out different courses than just what Ocala has to offer. So we're going to, it could potentially be courses that we never played where, you know, Brian and I can't even drive far enough to reach the fairway. You never know, but we'll we'll see what happens. But anyways, so for me this weekend, I'll be focused on um, prepping for the next three shows. So we've got our best all time college fantasy football seasons. Uh, So I think we have the top 300 seasons of all time um, for quarterbacks and then running backs and receivers are five top 500. So you get to interact with some really cool names. It's one of the, like, I love data and prepping for things and, and building out rankings that are, you know, based on predictive data and all that stuff. But just looking back historically at all these seasons and seeing names that, you know, were, you know, even before my time, but like part of my like childhood NFL days, like Steve Young from the early 80s at BYU and all that stuff, getting into these rankings, we're kind of like adding all the data putting um in terms of like passing yards rushing yards touchdowns all that stuff and then putting it into uh, a formula that calculates their fantasy production and then ranking them so i'll be putting in all of last seasons for the guys that did make it into the best of all time and uh i can't wait to do those shows i think they're going to be a ton of fun yeah i'm I'm looking forward to that as well i know on the quarterback list you're going to see names like Patrick Mahomes, who had some amazing yep. seasons at Texas Tech that translated into um, into great production, obviously, in the NFL. But then you're also going to have a name, like I'm sure you're going to have a name like Andre Ware from Houston, who's yep. who had one of the greatest college fantasy seasons of all time, uh, one of the greatest college games of all time. And uh, he was one of the worst when it came to transitioning from college to pro, but there's going to be a lot of that. Where you know mm-hmm. you'll see guys that predicted great, great of uh, great futures. Some other guys that were college only. Can't wait to to get to that. We're gonna have quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers. Um, as for me, you probably see me on the uh, on the soccer field a lot. Uh, kind of travel to Melbourne. My daughter's got a game down in Melbourne this weekend. Um, be refereeing again. And you can also find me at uh, tinyearl.com. You can see my name down here, tinyearl.com forward slash misfits2, M-I-S-F-I-T-Z2. It's a Kickstarter that on my company in Symmetry Creations uh, is running right now for one of our comic titles. We'd love to see you guys out there as well. Uh, but that's where you can find me if I'm not here. So uh, that's it for our show today. We talked about the uh, teams on the decline. BMAC, I'm sure, is going to go get himself, go to Dunkin' Donuts, get himself a brand new, Ew. fresh, hot coffee uh cream and sugar in there no more cold coffee Uh, (laughs) but uh that's been our show for today on behalf of brian mccalfrish and doug gravely my name is matt Knowles. this has been the cfb dynasty.com podcast see you guys adios